Howdy, folks. It's Brian M. Hauser, hawkblogger.com, at hawkblogger on Twitter, slash hawkblogger on Facebook. And just Brian, if you ever see me uh, around Seattle or at a game, um, great to talk to all of you. It's, what is it, a Tuesday evening, uh, fresh off a uh, Big Seahawks win to finalize a really interesting 2015 season and ready to embark on another playoff run. And there's so much to talk about. I don't even know where to begin. I think um, it's it's uh, the first thing that's on my mind is finding the right bar to hang out with my friends uh, Sunday morning. It's a little bit odd, you know, 10 a.m. Uh, you know, we've had had practice just like the Seahawks have. We've had practice at waking up early and taking buses or, or whatever to find a, a bar that's open at 10 a.m. And, and eat and drink before the one o'clock games. Not as usual to go and eat and drink and watch the Seahawks games at a bar um, on a Sunday morning. But you know, there's there's crazier things I've done in in service of my Seahawks obsession, and uh, there probably will be crazier things that I do. Uh, but yeah, I think we're gonna try to figure out a a place to go has good TVs, and as I've told you on Twitter before, my number one criteria for a good place to either pregame for a Seahawk pregame before Seahawks or um, if you have to watch the Seahawks on TV because they're on the road and you're not there, they better have good nachos. And let's just take a quick second on nacho criteria. I know this is what you tuned in for, but I just want to make sure that if you haven't had this before, you have this knowledge. And really, this is this is something I know a lot about. I've been making nachos since I was, you know, a very little kid, and I consider myself uh, excellent in the category of nacho. Uh, uh, nacho preparation. Um, first thing, most important thing is good cheese. And it's got to be a lot of cheese. No cheese sauce. So there's too many of these restaurants that try to serve you nachos and either barely have any cheese or don't have real cheese or have like really cheap, nasty cheese. Can't have good nachos without good cheese. That's number one. Number two, the cheese got to be melted. <laughs> People that put like you know, half-ass shredded cheese on there and it doesn't melt. No, thank you. That's, that's, that also does not qualify. That's more like cheese and chips than it is. It is nachos. Three, uh, generous supply of guacamole and sour cream. And honestly, the rest is negotiable. I happen to like beans on my nachos. I think they, they're, they're great. Um, hard to get those wrong come out of a can and all that, but you know, you can put tomatoes on there. You can throw some, uh, some ground beef, some, some chicken, all that stuff's all good on there. 
Um, but all I really need is good, che- good melted cheese and uh, sour cream and guacamole, and I'm pretty happy. Uh, the beans are usually a guarantee, so I always get those as well. So now you know. Um, I will be looking on the lookout for those. I generally go to the lodge before the Seahawks games um, during the season. At least I've gone the last couple of years. And their nachos have gone way downhill, I got to tell you. Uh, this year, I, I'm pretty sure, at least on game day, they like pre-prepare their nachos and then just kind of microwave them or something really quick. I'm not, no problem around microwaving nachos, but these don't taste good. I don't know if they're made the nice night before or what, but eee, yeah, they're not good. And uh, I've been to multiple lodge restaurants. There's one, I think, in like Ballard, and that one's fine. So, and last year they were fine. So I, I think they've, the, the one in uh, King Street that's right next to the stadium, maybe they're cutting some corners. I don't know. But uh, in any event, how did we get to here? <laughs> and I'm not talking about, how did we get to me talking about nachos? How do we get to um, the Seahawks being the sixth and final seed for the NFC in the playoffs? After two straight Super Bowls, after adding Jimmy Graham and subtracting Max Unger, after not being sure whether Russia Wilson was going to sign an extension and then getting him to sign and then signing Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright and Cliff Averill in the end of last season, Michael Bennett having questions about his contract and roundabout asking for a trade or something to that effect. Having Marshawn Lynch really close to retiring and being talked out of it and signed back to a a salary that was double what he's made previously. And then Cam Chancellor um, and his contract issues as you kind of you know entered training camp and and through the first couple of weeks of the season not to mention the Bruce Irvin uh issues that came up of him not being happy that his option was declined and talking to the Atlanta press about playing with the Falcons next year and and all that but you fast forward all the way to the year and you know the start of the year and and uh you look at the team that the Seahawks had then, and you look at the team the Seahawks have now, and honestly, it's not that different. Um, you have Cam Chancellor now. You will have Marshawn Lynch, and you did have him then. Um, you do not have Jimmy Graham. But... The majority of the rest of the team is is pretty stable. Yes, there's been the change at center. Drew Nowak is no longer your center. You've you've got Patrick Lewis there. But, you know, and Kerry Williams has been subtracted. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, maybe more like a few minutes. But for the most part, you got the same team. And you compare where this team started. 0 and 2, 2 and 4, 4 and 5, losing to the Rams twice. Uh, sorry, that's not where they started. So, losing to the Rams 34 31 with Nick Foles at quarterback, with Dion Bailey falling down 
to give up the game-tying touchdown. In tears afterwards, cut two weeks later, going to Green Bay and leading that game after three quarters, only to lose it in the end and start a string of fourth quarter meltdowns. And now you finish the season facing what I think is very fairly judged to be the best team in football, the Arizona Cardinals, at home with all of their players. And no matter what their general manager tries to tell you, or other players or media, they were coming to play. And you better believe that they remembered getting their butt kicked by the Seahawks in Arizona the year before, and that they wanted to sweep the season series with the Seahawks. Forget the playoffs. I mean, they obviously would have liked to get the first seed, but it did matter that they... Basically, it's just like playing your older brother, and you want to make that point. I mean, the way the best way I can describe it is think about it this way. Think about it if it was 2013 and week 17, and the Seahawks and 49ers were playing. 49ers were coming into Seattle. We had already beaten them in San Francisco, and this is not what happened. I'm telling you, imagine if this has happened. So... So the Seahawks had already beaten them in, in San Francisco. They've proven, you know, that they've they're capable of beating them and already have the division sewn up. And the 49ers come in and they are playing really well. They're looking really good. You know how talented they are. You know how great they've been in years past and how much trouble that they've given the Seahawks. And you tell me if Seattle and if the players and if you as fans and coaches and, and and front office would have dismissed Colin Kaepernick and Jim Harbaugh coming in and beating you 36-6 to last game of the year with your starters, allowing 30 points in the first half. 30 points in the first half. If my math's correct... That's a pace for 60 points in a game. So this was not some normal, yeah, they weren't playing their best. This was complete domination in every phase of the game. And, oh, I forgot to tell you. Imagine if it was the 49ers and they were missing five starters. Imagine if they were missing Patrick Lewis, or sorry, Patrick Willis, and let's say Navarro Bowman and Justin Smith and Joe Staley and Vernon Davis. And they're missing all those guys and they blew the Seahawks out at home, 36 to six. No way, no way are Seahawks fans, Seahawks coaches or Seahawks players feeling like, eh, that was just an aberration. Sure, they might say that publicly, but that was an eye-opening game for those people. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, 
Uh, I tend to go against the grain, not because I want to, um, but because, uh, I don't know. I, I just, sometimes I see things a little differently. Uh, I've been asked on Twitter and other places a number of times, you know, what do you think about this game leading up to it? Someone said, you know, a number of people kept asking, is this going to be the time that, that the Seahawks lose by more than 10 for the first time since 2011? I said, sure, it's possible, but it's also possible they win by 20. You know, I've learned to never to never underestimate this team in these situations. I think, I, you know, I even talked to my son um, beforehand and said, you know, I'm almost, I said this a couple of times, I'm, I'm almost worried about the Seahawks blowing out the Cardinals and doing it now because I have completely confident that the Seahawks can beat the Cardinals and beat them in the playoffs and beat them in Arizona. But blowing them out in that game really eliminates the possibility of any, uh, what's the, what's the right? Basically eliminates any chance that Arizona will underestimate the Seahawks. They're going to have all of their attention. Should that matchup happen they will have a chance to look at what was working for Seattle and make some adjustments. So I think it it will it, it makes that game harder. If the Seahawks had come in and won by seven points or whatever, uh, it would have been frustrating for the the Cardinals. But I think that would be much easier for them to just dismiss as we don't need to do anything different next time. We don't need to dig into that matchup. We just need to come and, and play a full game, and we'll be okay. So I have to say, I, I, I was not shocked that the Seahawks won that game. I definitely was not shocked that they won it um, in somewhat comfortable fashion. I was shocked that they won it by that big of a margin um, and that they were able to hold that offense, which I have so much respect for, to six points. Um, Carson Palmer is a legitimate MVP candidate. As far as I'm concerned, he's been the MVP. I think he's he's a more valuable player than, than Cam Newton, as far as I'm concerned. I know there's a lot of people that disagree with that. I've seen Carson Palmer just make plays that, to me, are rare there there are plays that he's made passes um he's he's shown poise he's um he's he's bounced back from problems and led his team to just really the one of the most prolific offenses in the nfl if not the most prolific offense and they have the best receiving core in football or at least uh very comparable to what Pittsburgh has. They're of course different style receivers than what Pittsburgh has, but they are um they're a handful. They're they're a real handful. They go at least four deep at receiver, arguably, you know, five or even six deep um at receiver. And their tight ends aren't bad either. And their offensive line is great at run blocking. And has made their any running back they put back there has been pretty successful because that line has been really physical. 
and the Seahawks held him to six points. <laughs> uh, crazy. That that is a crazy. That's that's easily the Seahawks' best performance defensively of the year. Um, better than the Minnesota performance. Better than the the Baltimore performance. Better than the um, better than the shutout against the Bears for sure. So that was the part that was most surprising to me, and I think really bodes well for the Seahawks as they enter the playoffs. I think that. I did some numbers, um, uh, which I know is not too shocking to all of you, but that um, the difference between the Seahawks defense with Kerry Williams and without Kerry Williams, and they're stunning, absolutely stunning. Um, you're talking about a team that with Kerry Williams – was giving opposing quarterbacks a passer rating of 87.4 and without Kerry Williams, 62.7. To give you some idea, I mean, that's like the difference between a middle of the road to bottom third of the NFL passing defense to the number one passing defense in all of football. It's the difference between the 2013 Seahawks and uh, I'd have to look it up, but give me a second. Um, it's a big difference. Let's start there. Um, and it doesn't end there. That's just passer rating. Um, I want to find this before I go on. Sorry, I'm I'm annoying this way. I can't let things go. So... The 2013 defense was right around that 62.7 mark that that uh, the Seahawks have been without Kerry Williams this year. And the 87 mark um, with Kerry Williams is the Indianapolis Colts, really, this year. That's their defense. So you're talking about middle of the NFL, like I said. Um, so... Then if you look at the touchdowns, um, they gave up nine passing touchdowns with Kerry Williams. They've given up, well, it's two touchdown and interception ratio. Nine touchdowns with Kerry Williams, four interceptions. So over more than double the touchdowns that there were interceptions. Without Kerry Williams, it's been four touchdowns and ten interceptions. So more than double the interceptions that there have been to touchdowns. Exact opposite, right? Flipped it completely. Points per game. We're giving up 19.9 points a game with Kerry Williams, 14.2 without. Yards per game, 303.3 with Kerry Williams, 272.3 without. And to make this even more stark, consider that those numbers without Kerry Williams include the Pittsburgh game when the Seahawks gave up 30 points and 538 yards. So <laughs> if you just look at the last five games of the year for the Seahawks, forget you take out the Pittsburgh game, you're talking about a team with a 61.5 opponent passer rating, giving up three touchdowns against six interceptions, 11 points per game, 
219 yards per game. 219 yards per game over five games. And that includes a game against the number one offense in football. That includes a game um, against... Minnesota, which is not a great offense, but uh, had the number one rushing offense in football when they faced them. So it's been a complete turnaround, and I think you have to give some credit to Deshaun Shedd and to Jeremy Lane and to Marcus Burley to a a little bit of a lesser extent. Um, I think Shedd's been a huge addition to that backfield. I think he has made plays on the ball. And the way I really look at it is you think about that 2013 defense and Brandon Browner, as much as like he's one of my favorite players, I know that he's stunk royally for the Saints this year. I think they totally misused him. That's somewhat besides the point, but he's always been flawed. He is a specific type of corner that can play a specific type of defense. And this 2013 Seahawks used him that way. Um, He is certainly less mobile than Deshaun Shedd. And I think Shedd is a guy that's been able to play slot corner, nickel corner. There's no way Brandon Browner will ever be a nickel corner or could have ever been a nickel corner. So the idea that the Seahawks could get by with someone like Deshaun Shedd on the outside makes some sense. He's 6'2", he's big. Um, his his weakness is he's not the fastest guy in the world. Honestly, neither was Brandon Browner. Um, he's a good tackler. He is good. He has good ball skills, you know, breaking up passes. He's already, you know, he defended four passes in his first game against Pittsburgh. That was more passes. That was the same amount of passes defensed as Kerry Williams had the whole year. And he's, he's had more since um, Deshaun Shedd has. So, you know, really, um, really amazing change in the defense. And I think it, it just goes to show you that small tweaks in personnel can have massive impact. Because really, there hasn't been that much difference. And you can say, well, it's the level of competition they were playing. Well, guess what? The Seahawks played Jimmy Clausen and Matt Castle and a bunch of the other scrubby guys in the first half of the season, and their numbers were still high. Um, and they've now played Ben Roethlisberger and Carson Palmer. And people can poo-poo Teddy Bridgewater, and I'll probably do that again here in a few minutes, but um, he's been one of the highest-rated quarterbacks in football the last half of the season. Um, so, you know, he had 108 passer rating against the Arizona Cardinals and threw for 335 yards and nine over nine yards a throw completed 70% of his passes. So it's not like he is the worst quarterback in the NFL. And yet the Seahawks made him look like that. And they've made other quarterbacks look pretty poor. So, you know, I think that's a that's been a big change. I do not think that means the Seahawks are infallible on defense at all. Um, you know, there's clearly 
some vulnerability there. I don't think that that Earl Thomas has had his best season, although, you know, I'm hoping that that uh, the way things have, have kind of come together has allowed him to settle back into more of his comfort zone in the middle and more of a you know, a player that can break on the ball and help take away one of the receivers or help out someone like Shed. And then the CX been playing without Cam Chancellor now for a few weeks, and Kelsey McCray has been really solid in, in his place. So CX know that they have him. It's a nice thing for everyone to know that, you know, Cam is a really key part of this defense, and they're better when he's there. But if he's unable to go, not necessarily the end of the world. It's not like last year in the Super Bowl where if he couldn't have gone, I don't know what they would have done necessarily. Um, I know what they would have done. I don't know if it would have been viable. And McCray is a guy that, that could step in and be a decent player for them. So, you know, that that's that's great news. I think it's, it's good for the playoff run. Um, the offense... You know, that's really been the story. Uh, they scored pretty much on every possession in the first half of the Cardinal game. I've told you, if you've been reading my stuff, the Cardinals' defense is overrated. They gamble. Teams that understand that, understand how to protect, understand how to attack. Um, and the Cardinals end up giving up big plays. And... People want to say that was not the Cardinals' defense. They didn't come with the same urgency. I guess. I mean, they were going against Alvin Bailey and Mark Lewinsky, and both those guys did pretty well, um, despite what Pro Football Focus said. Uh, There was not a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson, and there were some holes to run in. So, I mean, I think the, the Cardinals' defensive line is... Decent. I think Clay's Campbell's very good. Um, great, I would say. Um, their linebackers are suspect to me. I think Dayon Buchanan is is a good hybrid player that they've, you know, a safety that they've really moved into linebacker. And um, I think Marcus Golden is is uh, is a good pass rusher, and they were he was missing in this game, so that has something to do with it. But their pass rush is never great. I think they've got you know, the fact that they've got a weak pass rush is one of the best kept secrets in the NFL. They signed Dwight Freeney for a reason. He's getting paid a hundred thousand dollars a sack for a reason. Um, and he's okay. He's certainly no game changer at this point. Um, and so that lack of pass rush combined with the fact that they gamble. And now the fact that they've lost Tyron Matthew for the year, I just think they're vulnerable back there. I think they've only seen a couple of really high-quality offenses. And in each case, I mean, they faced the Saints beginning of the year, first week of the season, I think. They gave up over 400 yards. They've um, they faced the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger, so I don't think that's a great example. But Landry Jones carved him up. They gave up 25 points to Landry Jones and Michael Vick. They faced the Seahawks, and the Seahawks scored 32 points. They faced the Bengals, and the Bengals scored 31 points. They faced the Seahawks again, and the Seahawks scored 36 points. So don't tell me that the Cardinals' defense is elite. They're not. They're not. And you also look at their run game. Everyone's going bananas for David Johnson because he had all these big games. Who? Against who? Uh... 
the, the Cardinals have faced the Seahawks twice now. And in both games, the first game, they had Chris Johnson, and he didn't do anything. They got ended up with 100 yards rushing at the end because Andre Ellington got the fourth down, you know, big play run. But the rest of that game, I mean, the running backs were doing nothing. And what happened in this game? They did nothing. 23 yards, 27 yards, I want to say, on the ground. Um, so, you know, I don't think that a lot of what the Seahawks did in that game is fluky or was fluky. I think it's repeatable. And I think the Cardinals, it's going to be hard for the Cardinals to have a different approach the next time they play, should they play. Um, I think that the Seahawks line gives their their line real trouble. And I think that now that the Seahawks offense is functioning this efficiently, it's going to give that defense a lot of trouble. Um, you know, keep in mind the Seahawks scored that 32 points the first game with the help of a defensive touchdown from Bobby Wagner and with the help of another defensive turnover that that gave them really good field position but the Seahawks also started on offense you know three or four possessions in a row with first and 20 because of of or first and 25 because of penalties and it was 19 nothing and and there was nothing going on and then in the second half they got going pretty good so you know they put up a lot of points in that game with Russell Wilson playing arguably his worst game of the year and that was a game Jimmy Graham was dropping passes left and right. There's a lot of stuff that went wrong, and they still scored 32 points. So, anyway, I have a ton of respect for the Cardinals. It may not sound that way based on the way I'm talking about them, but that passing game of theirs, I think, is the best aspect of any team in football. And what I mean by that is, you take the pass rush off of a team or a running game or a passing game or a pass defense from any team. Um, I think the, the strongest strength, if I can put it that way, in the NFL is the Cardinals passing game. I think uh, the Steelers passing game is close, but I think the Cardinals passing game is better. I think their offense has been the best unit in football over the course of the year. And I kind of like to look at teams. When I judge contenders, I'm always looking at that. Like The Seahawks had the best defense in the NFL in 2013, and it wasn't close. That unit ended up being so strong that nobody could contend with them. Um, I think the Patriots' offense last year you know, arguably was one of the most unstoppable groups in football. And once Tom Brady kind of gets into his rhythm of short passes and he has his weapons available to him, it feels pretty impossible to slow that team down. Um, there are very few teams that can, can do what they do. And this year, I would say the two strongest units in the NFL, I would say, have been the Cardinals' offense and the Broncos' defense. And it'll be really interesting to see. I think in the case of the Broncos, I don't think that 
offense is strong enough to allow them to win a Super Bowl. I'm not sure it's strong enough to allow them to get through to the Super Bowl even. You know, you compare that Broncos defense to the 2013 Seahawks defense. I think it's it is a fair comparison. I don't think they're I wouldn't say they're the same, but um they're really good. They're really 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 good and they're good at every level of the defense. Um, good, good defensive line, good pass rushing, good run defense, great linebackers, great secondary, you know, physical, fast, you know, they've really, they've got it all really kudos to them for, for the way that they've managed to, to create that. But you compare that Broncos offense to what the Seahawks offense was in 2013. I don't think you can compare it. And I don't I haven't looked into their their special teams, but the Seahawks special teams was also a top ten, maybe a top five unit in 2013. Um, you know that was just an all around great team. So I I think the Cardinals are a more complete team than the Broncos. I think the Cardinals have that great offense, and I think they have a defense that's probably comparable to what the Seahawks offense was in 2013 you know I think they do have some some real talent in certain places I don't think it's overwhelming um and I think the right teams can exploit it um so you know I think the Cardinals are a really solid Super Bowl contender and if the Seahawks aren't there to stop them they very well could go all the way um but as I look around the NFC, honestly, if I look around the NFL, the only team I think is really really on on par with Seattle when they show up, and I, I'm not I'm going to retract that. Seattle always shows up. Um, even that Rams game, I don't think it was a matter of them not showing up. I think the Rams defensive line does things that no other defensive line can do to the Seahawks. Thankfully, there's not another defensive line like them in the playoffs, as far as I'm concerned. Don't talk to me about Minnesota or Carolina or, you know, even Denver. That is a very unique defensive line in St. Louis. And they, when they're motivated, can make a lot of trouble for Seattle. So setting all that aside, I think the Seahawks are the best team in the NFL. Uh, that can sound homerish, and I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, there are numbers that back it up. 538.com, the, uh, the great statistical blog that's way more educated than anything you'll see come out of my blog. But um, they've got the Seahawks number one statistically in the rankings. You've got Football Outsiders which also has their DVOA, which i got to tell you is pretty comparable to what I do. <laughs> I just admit, I acknowledge what my formula is and they don't. Um, but if you look at my rankings, they're often very, they're going to foreshadow what you're going to see in the DVOA a day or two later. That's just me being a little petty. Anyway, they do a good job and they've got the Seahawks as number one in DVO, DVOA. My rankings, which I'm proud of, I think they've been really, they've been helpful to me, and they've 
helped me see teams that were stronger than I realized and weaker than I realized over the years and helped me to see the Seahawks honestly for where they were. My rankings have the Seahawks is number one as well. So I don't think it's crazy to say, even though they're the number six seed in the NFC, that the Seahawks are the best team in the NFL. Best team in the NFL doesn't always win the Super Bowl. That, that, that we know. Um, and the Seahawks have to win three games on the road versus a team like Arizona or Carolina that just has to win two games to get to the Super Bowl. But this is going to sound really controversial, but I don't, I don't know that there's anyone on the potential Seahawks playoff path to the Super Bowl in the NFC that's as good as anyone they've played in the playoffs the past two years. Let me think about that for a second. Let's go back to 2012. So the Redskins were probably the worst team the Seahawks played in the playoffs in the last three years. Um, the Falcons that year, it's hard to remember, but I believe they were like 14-2, and two, maybe 13-3, and three, but they were... They were the number one seed in the NFC. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Roddy White, Tony Gonzalez. Um, that was a good team. Uh, uh, the 49ers, obviously, in 2013, I think are the best team the Seahawks have played in the playoffs at any level. Um, the Saints in 2013 were very good. That was a very tough game. Um, Seahawks had blown out the Saints earlier that season. And the Saints came back, and that game was way tougher than people remember. Um, but that Saints team, that 49ers team, the the Green Bay team from last year, I'd put all of those teams, and probably the Falcons. Falcons, maybe not. But let's just look at the last couple of years. So let's say that the, the Saints the Packers and the 49ers are tougher than any of the teams that the Seahawks could face in the NFC this year. They faced, they faced Carolina last year and they, they won a, you know, by a decent margin. This is a better team most likely than that team, but they just lost Charles Tillman to an ACL injury um, for the rest of the year. They're now down two of their top three cornerbacks, um, Benet, Ben Wickery, was their slot corner was also lost for the season a few weeks ago. So now they've got Cortland Finnegan and player to be named later <laughs> in their backfield. And this is already to go with, you know, old man winter back there, Roman Harper at safety. Yes, they have Kirk Coleman. He's a good player, but I think that defense is a huge part of what makes that Panthers team so hard to play against and that secondary looks really vulnerable. And I think the Seahawks would have some reason to be pretty confident going against um, that injured secondary. And by the way, the Panthers are also not a fantastic pass rushing team. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of get to the Panthers later, I guess. I just, I call them out because, you know, the Panthers, Panthers played one of the worst schedules in the NFL. And that does not mean they're a bad team. They've just beat this tar out of a lot of people, and they deserve credit for the season they had. But Cam Newton's played one good quarter in three seasons against the Seahawks. One. 
Um, they've made him look really bad in, in most of the rest of the games. Uh, I think Jonathan Stewart, to me, is tougher than Cam Newton. He's run really hard when the Seahawks have played him. He was tough last year in the playoffs. A lot of people don't remember, but he was he ran really tough in that game. And, uh, you know, that those receivers aren't necessarily scary. I think Greg Olson's has some, you know, it can be tough. But anyway, I don't think that Carolina is the team that anyone should be afraid of. Um, you know, I think it's always tough to get your first win any year in the playoffs. And I think this game, let's talk about it, against Minnesota, whenever you just wall up a team especially at home and then you have to play them again in their in their place that's tough that is not easy and uh the seahawks punked the the vikings that game uh adrian peterson did nothing teddy bridgewater did nothing um and no one on the the vikings defense did anything as i've kind of looked at it and looked at how they played since you know bridgewater seemed to really take it to heart. Um, like I told you, he had a good game against the Cardinals. He made a completely boneheaded play at the end of the game that ended up with a sack and a fumble when they could have tied it. Um, they were in field goal range. He didn't get rid of the ball fast enough. Stupid that Mike Zimmer had him even do that play, but the quarterback's got to get rid of the football. Um, still, he, had, he was pretty prolific in that game. Then he goes on and faces the Bears and goes for 154.4 passer rating. Um, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He averaged 12 yards a throw, 11.5 yards a throw, and completed 17 out of 20 passes. So he just torched the Bears. Then he goes to play the Giants, and eh, nothing great. 93 rating, but you know a touchdown. Goes back to his kind of more typical 6.7 yards per pass, 168 yards passing total. Um, and then last week, he just bottomed out again against the, the Packers and actually had his worst statistical game of the year. Um, had only 99 yards passing. Um, he had 118 against the Seahawks, if you're curious. Um, no touchdowns and an interception. So, And he made that just brain dead left-handed throw that was picked off, you know, in, in a game that they really had control over that, that he kind of gave green Bay new life in. So I, look, I'm not going to tell you that the, the Vikings offense is full of world beaters. Cause they're not, they've got one world beater. His name's Adrian Peterson. He has run over the Seahawks in the past. Um, the Seahawks have shut him down this last game. I don't think you should expect that they're going to shut him down to that degree this time around. But he also supposedly hurt his back somewhat badly in, in the game on Sunday, Well, you know, this past Sunday. We'll see how, how healthy he's feeling. Um, but expect him to put in a spirit of performance and be really tough and maybe break a play, maybe, you know, put them on the scoreboard. Um, that's not totally out of the realm of possibilities. He is that good. But if you then look at the defense, I think that's where things really change from the first game. Harrison Smith is a special player at safety. Even in the game, the first matchup, he had a tackle for loss in that first series, came off the edge, tackled Thomas Rawls before he could even really make his first cut, 
you know, very instinctual player, good blitzer, good tackler, great in, in coverage. You know, he's he's a huge asset. Um, arguably the best safety in football this year. Um, arguably. And uh, Anthony Barr, really talented linebacker, um, can be used as a blitzer, can be used um, in coverage, um, can be used to, to track Russell Wilson down. Um, and he was missing other than one series in that game. He'll be back and will be part of that group. I think uh, Andrew Sandejo, their other starting safety, will be back. Sandejo's a solid player. He's not a major difference maker, but he's a starter for a reason. And when you're missing your two starting safeties, it's not a shock that Russell Wilson had such, you know, just carved up that defense the way he did. Um, so those three players will be back. Linval Joseph, who is maybe their best defensive player, and well, yeah, at least maybe their best defensive player. Defensive tackle, really tough against the run, um, decent pass rusher, allows Sharif Floyd to move over next to him. The combination of those two is a handful. Um, he was out. He has been out of most games since. He played against the Giants um, two weeks ago, but was not able to go against Green Bay. And... The expectation here is that he's gonna he's gonna find a way to at least get in the game and make a go of it. We'll see. Um, let's assume that he plays. That the the Vikings are at full strength. That they've got all their their best players. They've got great players on the defensive line, great player at linebacker, and great players at safety. I think their cornerbacks are still very suspect. I think they've gotten by with suspect corners. Um, Xavier Rhodes is okay, but I don't think he's I don't think he's been that great this year. Um, and I think the Seahawks offense could realistically have trouble putting up a lot of points in this game. I think 20 points could be a lot. Um, I think that's how good the Vikings defense is when they're fully armed. Um, I could talk myself into believing that the Vikings defense, when they're fully healthy, is actually a better defense than the Panthers have right now. Not when the Panthers are fully healthy, but the way they are right now. I think this Vikings defense may turn out to be the toughest defense the Seahawks face in the NFC playoff race. Um, so, you know, overlooking them would be a mistake. Um, Vegas right now has the Seahawks as a five-point favorite, and as I posted tonight, I was shocked by this. There's only been three times in NFL playoff history that a road team has been favored by five points or more. Think about that. All the years of the NFL playoffs, only three times has a road team been a five-point favorite or more. Now, in each of those cases, the favorite lost. So the home underdog won. And that should be a cautionary tale. Um, I know I've made sure a few of the Seahawks folks know about that. But, you know, you cannot take this game lightly. I think this every playoff game is tough. Um, you're going to get their very best. And I think it's it's not crazy to think the Seahawks are going to need to win a 20-17 to or a 20-14 to kind of game. 
I have a hard time seeing the Vikings being good enough to to run away from Seattle in any scenario. So, you know, it could be where the Seahawks need to win it at the end or it's a field goal or something like that. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think this is when you've got a great defense like the Vikings do. And I think I really respect Mike Zimmer as a defensive coach. I think he's tough. I think he's smart. Um, I've watched that the defense play when they were healthy. They're very fast. Um, I don't think we really got a good view of what that defense looked like in the last game at all. So, yeah, I think it's 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 going to be tough. Um, but I also think that <laughs> it's just hard to see that Vikings offense um, really challenging the Seahawks defense. And, you know, the Seahawks defense should come out to play. Um, this is the second worst pass protecting team in, in the fo- in football teddy bridgewater takes his time throwing the ball seahawks got him four times last time frank clark had two sacks last time um bridgewater gets sacked you know three times a game uh at least usually so there's chances for fumbles there's chances for interceptions um even though bridgewater only has nine picks all year uh I think you know the defense is going to be the one that has to step up, and luckily it looks like they're ready to do that. Um, now, if the offense is capable, is able to actually put up twenty-five to thirty points against this defense in the freezing zero-degree temperatures in Minnesota with their you know with everyone healthy, that would be <laughs> that would be saying a lot. Um, what the Seahawks did not have in that first game was Marshawn Lynch. They had Thomas Rawls, who I will tell you has been at least as good as Marshawn Lynch um, over the course of the year, and I would argue is better. So it's not like the Seahawks all of a sudden are exchanging, uh, you know, Dewan Harris for Marshawn Lynch. Um, they had Thomas Rawls when they played him before. They now have Marshawn Lynch. I think that's comparable, and and I think hopefully Marshawn will look good. It's gonna be cold. Hopefully that that he's able to play and handle this the the physical nature of the game. Um, certainly gonna be fun seeing him back out there. You know the, the Seahawks. I, I like to think that this is his swan song, and I, I would love it if he'd at least you know make that clear in the locker room in a declaration and let this be you know, for those guys do care about him and let them try to put him out, finish his career on top of the heap, I think would be pretty cool. Um, so I'm really curious. Um, I'll be doing more digging throughout the rest of the week. And, and if I have time, I'll, I'll podcast again, but, um, I'm going to be watching the Linval Joseph injury piece. I think that could be a really big deal one way or the other. Whether he plays, whether he plays while he's not healthy, whether he can stay in the game. Um, I think that that's, that's a pretty big item. I think that um, obviously the Seahawks getting back their players to health. Cam Chancellor being able to play would be big. Um, obviously having no setbacks with the other guys would be big. Uh, so 
I would encourage you guys, if you haven't already, check out the blog. Um, I've been putting a bunch of stuff up there, and um, I also put up there the the strengths versus weaknesses um, report that I like to do. It's basically a pretty comprehensive preview that looks at where the teams rank in a bunch of different categories and compares, you know, if the Seahawks are number two in the NFL in yards per attempt on offense, where's the Vikings defense on that stat? And so not only do I have those kind of offense versus defense matchups um, as well as special teams, but this time I've also added um, how the team's ranks have changed since the last time they played. So you can get a sense of where have the Vikings stepped forward, where have they stepped back since the Seahawks played them last, where have the Seahawks stepped forward, where have the Seahawks stepped back. And to be honest, I'll, I'll uh, give you a little Cliff Notes version you know, the Seahawks have stepped forward in most places. Um, the Vikings have in a lot as well. But that Vikings offense that did not score a point against the Seahawks last time is going to face a Seahawks defense that actually is significantly better statistically than they were the last time they played. So uh, with that, I am going to uh, let you all go. I am going to try to go figure out where we're going to go on Sunday to watch the game. I hope you have wonderful plans and are going to act silly and enjoy yourself as much as we all get serious and frustrated and happy and all these different emotions. I think it's just so important to remember how uncommon it is to have a team like the Seahawks team and They've now had a 140-point, uh, their, their point differential has been, point differential has been 140 points or more for four straight years. The only other teams that have ever done that are the 2009 to 2012 Patriots, the 91 to 96 49ers, I believe, and the 92 to 95 Cowboys. Those are all dynasties. That's the type of team you have. It's very, very rare. First in the NFL in scoring defense four years in a row. Never really been done. Don't tell me about the Browns and the 12-team league that they did it in in the 50s. Not the same. Not the same. So, you know, no matter what happens, I don't say that because I'm bracing for the worst, but... Playoff games, are, playoff games are hard. You're going to be on the road. And it's possible that Seahawks will lose this game. The Vikings are a good team. They won their division for a reason. They earned it. Um, but just try to enjoy it. I mean, go. Don't, don't get yourself all nervous. Just have fun. I mean, this is, this is just something that we don't get. Um, for a lot of years. There will be times this does not happen. Pete Carroll won't be here always. Um, you're going to have other teams, other other coaches, other players. You know, Russell Wilson won't be in his prime forever. Uh, Doug Baldwin won't always be in his prime. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Camp Chancellor may not be here next year. You just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So um, enjoy every snap. Enjoy watching this team play. My gut is this this team's gonna go all the way? That's what that's what my gut's telling me. Um, long way to go. There's a lot in their way, but 
I'm I'm planning on being in San Francisco in a few weeks, and uh, it all starts with this game on Sunday, and uh, I'm looking forward to to recapping it with you all next week. So take care, all the best, and uh, happy New Year to everybody. I hope it's a great one for all of us. Why not?